0: do Psalm 92 and Psalm 93, and I figured since we're more of an intimate tonight, there's more of a classroom atmosphere, uh, I can ask you guys questions, and we can do a little test or quiz afterwards, and see what the Lord does, but Psalm 92 is is kind of a psalm about God working, and Psalm 93 is more or less a psalm about God reigning, and we'll see that as we go through, Uh, either way, and we're going to see it. Both are elements and reasons for us to praise God. Because look what you read here in Psalm 92. It says, A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For... You, Lord, have made me glad. Through your work, I will triumph in the works of your hands. It's a psalm. It says right there, written uh, for the Sabbath day. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. The Sabbath day was a day of rest for the people, but it wasn't a day of rest necessarily in uh, God's uh, calendar of time. We know in the beginning he rested on the seventh day, But in one sense, he hasn't rested working on our behalf ever since. He did finish the work of the cross, but it's cool to know that God never takes a day off. He never takes uh, a moment off. He's always working on our behalf. And we're going to see that today, that we get to rest because of his work. It's a real neat thing. He mentions right there in verse 1 that it's good to give thanks to the Lord And to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Now, I don't know if you guys noticed it or not when you read verse 1, but you notice that the first half of the verse, he seems to be talking to the people. It is good to, you know, to, to give thanks to the Lord. And then right in the middle of that verse, he then directs his praise to God. He says, and to sing praises to your name. Almost high, and I and I kind of like that. Sometimes I'll even do that when I'm teaching. I'll be teaching, and then I'll be talking to the Lord, and it's kind of cool because we can do that, you know, just in you know our hearts. And um, he mentions the fact that it's good. It's good to sing praises to your name. Uh, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. And the the good aspect of it really means that it's fitting. It's fitting. It's fitting because of the greatness of God. He is praiseworthy because of the things that he has done. Here we see in verse 1 an element of thanksgiving. And we see an element of true singing. Do you guys like to worship? It's it's really cool, huh? Isn't it? Um, you know, I, I we're going to see, we're going to talk a little bit about music, the instrument of ten strings and the, and the lute, you know, and the harp and stuff like that. Uh, We'll cross-reference it over to the instruments that David made specifically to praise the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, when I think of music, uh, I grew up uh, in a band, I was in a heavy metal band, and I love all kinds of music except for country. And Some of you probably like country. I'm sorry about that, man. (laughs) I'm starting to like it a little more. Uh, The lyrics are pretty cool. But, you know, I've learned um, in my journey, and this is a personal conviction for me, that uh, music uh, that's not praising God, it, it it leaves a void within me. You know, I love music, and don't get me wrong, man. I can still listen to a Metallica song, or I can still listen to, you know, a Motley Crue song if I'm going, you know, in the mall or whatever. And it just kind of fires you up. You know, it kind of stirs things up. But it doesn't take long, even in that, to really afterwards find that it was really. Wasted time. Because I really believe that music was made for the glory of God. And I really believe that music that's not really um, explicitly praising God has in one way or another missed the mark. Now my son would disagree with me on that. So, you know, like I said, this is an in-house debate. He likes classical music, and you know he's able to listen to it and say, "Look at that isn 't it a beautiful sound the violin makes and you know it's it's true you know you appreciate those things, but I love it when the lyrics praise the lord that that 's my personal conviction, and we 're going to see that element tonight it 's good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name." Uh, it's kind of cool, Oh Most High. We kind of went over that 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 title today. Um, Elyon, you know, the, the God Most High. Uh, Thanksgiving. It's good. Do you guys have an attitude of gratitude? That's great. Attitude of gratitude, to have that Thanksgiving is so important. Um, an African proverb says this, Even the hen... Lifteth her head toward heaven When swallowing grain You know I mean Just having that attitude of gratitude And being thankful And you know You have a choice in life the Bible says In all things Give thanks And so when things come your way You really have the option of complaining And uh, really looking at the negative aspect of it But if you really think about it There's so much To be grateful for There really is And you just have to, you know, I think just open your eyes and and open your heart a little bit. There's an Indian proverb, and it mentions the fact that so many complain about the fact that God made lions and tigers. And they're like, why? Why did God make lions and tigers? When in all reality, we should be grateful that he didn't give them wings, huh? You know, there's always a, a side of, I think, gratitude even in the things that we might look at and, and think, well, I don't know about this, you know. Because when you give thanks, even in the difficulties and even in the hard times, I think what that does is that's an act of faith. It's an act of worship. And it's, a, it's an expression. Uh, you're telling God, I believe that even through these difficulties, Lord, that you are going to create something wonderful. You're going to make beauty from these ashes. And it's fitting, he says. It's good that we do that. He says there in verse 2, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. So the next time you pass by an AMPM store, okay? Remember what the Bible says about what to do in the morning and what to do in the evening. C.H. Spurgeon has a great devotional. It's called Morning and Evening. and and, uh, you know, I don't know, how many of you here are morning persons, just out of curiosity? And how many of you here are evening persons, okay? Anybody here, both? Both. Really? Oh, man, you guys are rare, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's what I want to be. Right now, I'm a morning person. And usually when it comes to evening, I start running out of gas. And uh, I'm asking the Lord to give me strength. But right here, and the Bible often takes, talks about it, you know, in the morning we we, we serve the Lord, we... It says right here, declare your loving kindness, and then your faithfulness. It, it says every every single night, you know. And we're going to see in the end that that declaration is really the the heart and the movement of this song. You know, you guys have a message. You might not be a pastor, maybe you will one day, um, but you have a message. It's uh, it's uh, this treasure in earthen vessels. And you know, you might be able to say it eloquent or, or, or maybe not. It doesn't really matter. You have this key. You have this treasure. You have this declaration. And as you share that with people, you share it with your family, you, you use your lips for His glory, it's so cool because God really does work that out. You know, I think I have mentioned to you guys before that it's very rare that people out there in the world Hear the gospel from somebody who really cares. Very rare. You know, um, people who really know about Jesus, they know how to be saved, they know the truth, and they really care about others. And I think that the amount of people out there are getting less and less and less. I believe you guys have that. You know, here you are on a Sunday and, and you're seeking the Lord even in the nighttime. Um, and so I want to encourage you to be bold. And to declare these things. We see it here in the very beginning, verse 2. If you would, just look real quick at verse 15. To declare. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. See, it's this declaration. We're going to see, we learn about God. We see the way He works. We see the way He defeats our enemies. And we have a message to share with the world. And I was talking to Steve earlier and Steve has a tough job in that he works with individuals who are down and out and sometimes they're homeless and sometimes they're even low functioning and homeless people. And a lot of those people out there are are really, I think, dabbling with demons. You know, there there's just the demonic realm that that Steve is wrestling with and that his coworkers are wrestling with and um and he's telling me about how it's beginning to hit some of the workers. And they're they have no defense. I mean, it would be like you trying to fight a lion. You know, in the Lord, thank God, we have a defense. They have no defense. And so as we're here and we're looking at this whole thing, we see the Lord wants to give that declaration. He wants to give the declaration of what? Salvation. Because otherwise there's no hope for them. And so it's so cool. He says there in verse 3 to do it on an instrument of ten strings on the lute. And then the harp with harmonious sound. You know, he's talking about the keyboard. He's talking about the, the, you know, 2 net guitars, man. He's talking about, you know, all the different instruments. You read Psalm 150, all the symbols, man. Um, of course, it's not just noise. It says right there in verse 3, with harmonious sound. And so these instruments are used harmoniously and beautifully to praise the Lord. And in that praise, um, there's a declaration, and in that praise, there's a message, and that's why I love to you know hear the worship group sing and to hear the the, the classic songs and the hymns throughout the years because there's just such a message there that's so wonderful, and when you bring the music to it, it it's really an incredible uh, experience. How many of you here, any of you here play musical instruments? Anybody here? What do you Brian? Okay, you better start again. Anybody else? <laughs> Everett what do you play bro drums okay guitar really where have you guys been man? <laughs> <huh? laughs> you're like oh well, I'm not good enough you know what just go for it you know take <laughs> a step of faith <laughs> anybody else Pat and ukulele. really ukulele you know Justine plays ukulele as well Absolutely. and she'll do worship and it's really really cool yeah. you play instrument can you okay <laughs> alright you guys uh, anybody else no okay <laughs> All right. Um, I know some of you here sing, and you're holding back. <laughs> but anyways, um, worship is powerful. It really is. I remember Greg Laurie saying that you know when he would have the Harvest Crusade, they had the Harvest Crusades, and when you get like you know twenty, thirty thousand people praising God, he said that when a non-believer walks into that environment and they see you know, twenty, thirty thousand people praising God. He said, There's nothing like it. And it's true. And when we can cultivate that in the congregation, and I still we still have a ways to go in that, but we're not, you know, we're moving towards that direction. It's just such an awesome, awesome thing. Um I, I believe God made music for his glory. And as a matter of fact, if you go back to first chronicles, just real quick, you can keep your marker in Psalms and if you go back to 1st Chronicles 23 This is talking about um you know the different preparations and organizations and it says in verse 1 so when David was old and full of days he made his son Solomon king over Israel and he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the levites now the levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above and the number of individual males were 38,000 Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers. And 4,000, this is so cool, 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments. He said, which I made, said David, for giving praise. And I just think that's cool, you know, when you think about that, how the Lord... You know, he, 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 David was a man after God's own heart. And, and David said, man, I made these instruments. I made them to praise the Lord. And like I share with you guys, I really do believe that God made music for His glory. You know, I don't know where your conviction's at. Some of you here, you know, you listen to, you know, maybe music that's not explicitly Christian. And, uh, um, you know, I'm not trying to give you my convictions, you know, but... I really do encourage you to to really search your heart on that and just to know that music was made, um, I think, to explicitly lift up the name of God. And to me, anyways, and I'm just going to share with my personal conviction, but to me, um, when I listen to music that's not explicitly worship, I I feel like I've wasted, wasted some time. Except for love songs. (laughs) <laughs> love songs are okay. Because I have certain love songs that Shelly and I, this, it draws us closer to each other. But other than that, um, it's different. Anyways, and there's a few other songs. There's a song I listen to, um, Harry Chapin. Have you guys heard of Harry Chapman? What's it called? The Cats in the, Cat the Cradle? Yeah. I listen to that every once in a while to remind me of my responsibility with my son. Every once in a while you'll have a really good song. You know, Isn't She Lovely by Stevie Wonder and I Think of My Daughter, you know. But it it, it has to be really, really... If it's just, you know, about something that's just really, really um, not dear to my heart, then um, I think it's a waste. Anyways, I, David said, hey, I made these instruments for what? To praise the Lord. And, it, and the thing is, and when you look at that, look what he says in verse 4. For you, Lord, back in Psalm 92 have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. We're going to see through this psalm that it's a lot about the work of God. And because of the work of God, he, he says it's good to, to just be grateful and, and to lift up a heart of praise. He says there in verse 4, you have made me glad through your work. I will triumph, notice it says, in the works of your hands. What are the works of God's hands? Anybody know what the works of God's hands are? Us. us. Creation. Man, you guys are sharp. Those are really the two things that I was looking for, man. It was creation and us, the new creation. We are the works of His hands. We are custom made. You know, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so He's making us, the Greek word is the word poema. It's a custom work. That's what we are. And um, and the way that He did it, man, is He fashioned us. And with His hands, He was nailed to a cross. Huh? The Bible talks about that. In Psalm 119.73, it says, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding and I may learn your commandments. In Psalm 138, verse 8, it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. And so we are definitely the works of His hands. And right here, the psalmist says, Man, uh, you've made me glad through your work. I will triumph, it says right there, in the works of your hands. You know, we think of the scripture over in John 10 and... 28 and 29, where Jesus said, you know what? You, you know where you guys are? You're, you're right here in my hands. And no one's going to snatch you out of my hands. No one's going to snatch you, in the next verse he says, out of my Father's hands. And so you guys ever heard that song, put your hand in Jesus' nail-scarred hands? It's cool, huh? And that's who we are, you guys. He says, man, that blesses me. That really uh, encourages me you know god's not in some factory mode you know all these different machines and they kind of run you through the process and he's up there you know on the on the office you know way over there distant from you he's just his custom making us holding us watching over us isaiah 49:14 through 17 it's a real uh, uh i think a common verse but if you haven't read it man it says but zion said the lord has forsaken me and my lord has forgotten me and then the lord says can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb surely they may forget yet i will not forget you see i have inscribed you on the palms of my hands it's cool huh your walls are continually before me god is always protecting us your sons shall make haste or destroyers, and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. You see, the Lord here, and we read, as we read His Word, He reveals the fact that we are the works of His hands. You know, I, I don't know about you guys. Are you guys a touchy-feely type, just out of curiosity? Some people aren't. They're like, they don't touch anybody, you know. (laughs) And they say, well, maybe it's because they grew up that way or whatever. Man, I love to touch my kids, man. I just love to squeeze them. And, you know, when I'm driving home, my son, I just love just getting my hand and putting it on his head and rubbing his neck and squeezing him really, really tight. Um, I just love the hands-on, you know, just that whole experience and I want you to know that I think that's how God is with us. You know, um, He's a touchy, touchy-feely type, I think. You know, and the psalmist is, is really blessed by that. He's really blessed by His hands. But it's not only the hands of working in our life. It's not only the hands that that, that really work. It's also hands that that war. It's hands that fight, and we're going to see that as we carry on here. But before we get there, look what he says in verse 5. Oh Lord, how great are your works! Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. You see, the works of God, they surround us. The works of God are within us. And it really is mind-boggling. You know, in John chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. I don't know if you know this or not, man, but God's always working. You know, and and you, and I know I, talk, I, I I talk to the leadership a lot. I talk to people a lot, and they just say, "How how are things going?" And I, you know what, I, I tell them a lot. I say, "Man, God is working. God is moving. God is just always doing things in lives and hearts and families and marriages and ministries and and it's just an amazing thing to see." You know, And he talks right here, he says, a senseless man, he doesn't know. A, a fool, he doesn't understand this. Be careful that you don't lose your senses. Be careful that you don't lose your sensitivity. I think that when you open your eyes and you begin to look around, you see God working. You see God working, maybe even in the heart of your, of your loved ones. And when you look at it from a superficial perspective, you're like, man, I, I don't see God moving. But then when you look deeper, because you've been praying, and because you've been loving, and because you've been obeying, God's, God's working. A senseless man, he doesn't know. A, a fool, he doesn't understand. But the ones who are sensitive and the ones who are wise, you realize, you know what? God is working. You know, maybe even in your own life, you know, maybe there was a period of time or maybe there is a period of time now and you don't see it. And you need to know that even when Jonah was in the in the boat going in the wrong direction and then, you know, in the whale and just wondering what's up with this, God was heading him towards Nineveh, right? Ready to vomit him out, man. <laughs> and even in that whole process, you know, I think bleaching him, making him glow, so that when he goes out and he's a prophet, there he's more effective. I mean, it's so cool the way that God is really working, you guys. It's it just to me, it just makes me want to praise Him. And I think that that's what the psalmist is saying right here. He he's praising, and we need to to be sensitive to that. Psalms 40 verse 5. If you want to turn there, since it's in the Psalms, and it is a really good cross reference to this whole thing, um, because it says, "Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered." I mean, His works for us and His thoughts about us, His thoughts toward us. I don't know about you, ma'am, but it really blows me away when I think that the God of the universe has this type of thought pattern towards a person like me. But He does. And He's not just a God. Like A lot of times we have good intentions and a lot of times we might even have good thoughts. But those thoughts... Um, they go farther and they work on your behalf and he's got this amazing life that's planned out for us and uh, and it's so cool that the psalmist is there we see the same thing back in psalm 92 oh lord how great are your works your thoughts are very deep we see the work of god's heart and hands include his new creation his creation And even his work of war. And it's at this point where we see he defends us from our many enemies. In verse 7, look what it says. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. Verse 7 is kind of a a condensed version of Psalm 73. Uh Uh-huh. You guys remember Psalm 73? Asaph, he said, man, I just, I don't understand it, God. The wicked are prospering. And he saw them and and himself was going through difficulties, you know. And so he said, man, as I began to just think about this and contemplate this whole thing, I almost stumbled, you know. He almost walked away until what ended up happening is he went into the house of the Lord and he saw their end. And that's what we see right here in verse 7. You know, the wicked, they spring up like grass. And you know, there they are quick. And they're, you know, it's apparently green. And things are happening. But he says right there that the reason for that is he says, And when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. You know, and that's a heavy warning for the wicked. Um, I, I don't know about you, I, I don't know how you guys are. Do you do you do you have any enemies? Just out of curiosity, you guys have any enemies? No. The devil, right? Don't tell me, you know, your spouse. I mean, those, you guys would never <laughs> say that, right? you know. Um, a lot of lies, a lot of demons. I, I believe, like Ephesians. Uh, six, it talks about how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And some say there's just different ranks of demons, man, that are our enemies. And I really do believe any of you here ever read the book uh, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? I think that's the name of it, right? Okay, if you can, get it, if you get a chance, and if you're that kind of reader, I guess, uh, check it out. He talks about how. Um, there's different demons assigned to different individuals. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's true. Uh, Paul said we are a public spectacle to, to the angelic realm. And they're watching us. And there's a structure there. There's, you know, different um, demons, I think. And, and as you get, you know, more and more in the Lord and more effective probably, you know, then they ascend, you know, they, they assign heavier, heavier demons on you. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think right here in Psalm 92 and 93, we're going to see that not only was there the demonic enemies, but there was just those people. There were those people that would oppose them, that would come against them tooth and nail. And, uh, and there's a heavy warning in this. He says right there at the end of verse 7, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But look at the contrast in verse 8. But you, Lord, are on high. Forevermore. (laughs) And that's the contrast, you know? When they're destroyed forever, God, right there, it says, is on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. And, And it's kind of interesting when you look at that right there regarding the enemies. There are enemies and they're his enemies. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye has also seen my desire on my enemies. My ear hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. And and in looking at this, we see the Lord working, making us, but also warring. And in that whole process, defeating our enemies. You know, I I think it's Jude. One of the books over there, it says that um, when the angel um, Michael, when he went uh, toe-to-toe against uh, Satan uh, over the body of Moses he didn't even you know you know come and, and bring a reviling accusation against him he didn't i guess go toe to toe he said the lord rebuke you okay and i think a lot of times people think well you know i can handle this you know i'm i'm doing fine and and you you have the misconception that you think that maybe you can handle the demonic opposition and we're clever enough we've been walking with the lord enough i've been running block couple down the block a couple of times and, and the devil is so crafty. And he comes in, and with just this twisted tongue, the language of Lucifer, the devil's uh, dialect, it's lies. He messes up the calling on your life. And, um, you know, without the Lord, and without really seeking him, and without really depending on him. You know, we're going to be turned into... You know, we're, we're going to be like, like Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Make sure that you're not fighting this fight with your own armor. Make sure that you're bathing your mind and your heart in the Word of God. Because the devil will lie through anybody. And that's why it's so important that you take those lies... And you compare them to the Word of God and the things that He's, you know, shared with you, because God is the only one that can defeat the devil for us. He is the one that will defeat our enemies. Um, and it's so cool when you look at that. You know, when you're under the shadow of His wing, look what He says in verse 10: "My horn you have exalted like a wild ox." Um, what would it be about an ox? What do you guys think when you think of ox? Oxtails? What do you think? What, what is it about an ox? Strong. 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 Can you imagine a wild ox? Wow. Strong. And then you have the horns. I mean, you have some animals that don't have horns. Some that do. The ones that have horns, you know, like a rhinoceros or something, you know. Um, it's an incredible thing. And And in the Bible, the... The horns, they speak of power. And what God does in our life is He defeats our enemies for us and then He enables us with His strength to be like that—that—that—that that, 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 the, the, the powerful, wild ox who has horns and He goes to, to battle. I, I think sometimes of the Chronicles of Narnia. You guys seen that movie, the Chronicles of Narnia and some of the creatures, man? And uh, I don't know what those ones are with the two like this. What are do they? Does anybody know what they is? man they 're just bad <laughs> they 're really and the, and that 's what the Lord does with us and and then, how does He do it? He gets specific here in the verse. He anoints us with fresh oil it 's a fresh anointing in our life it 's a fresh moving of the Holy Spirit in our life you know and we really need to be sensitive to the Lord. We really do you guys there 's that fresh oil of the Holy Spirit uh, that really every day we need to ask God for. It's an amazing thing. When you let the Lord be your defense, when you let the Lord fight your battles for you, when you uh, depend on Him and not your own wisdom. And You know, you can't be here tonight and say, well, I, I read the Bible a few times or I have enough knowledge. No, we don't. It has to be that fresh uh, dependence upon Him. And so what ends up happening in the end there, verse 11, my eye has seen my desire on my enemies, my ears. They hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. Now, does that mean that when you see somebody, you know, in the Lord and they get all jacked up, you're like, yes, yes, they deserved it, you know? And I've heard some pastors talk about this. You know, they talked about how an individual threatened their life or an individual you know, created a division and then the next day they died. Um, and, you know, that does kind of strike a, a little chord of fear into me. Um, but I think, you know, now that we have the New Testament light, we see the Bible says to love your enemies and, and to pray for them and things like that. But, you know what? There there are those times when you see God take care of your enemies like this. The guys that just would not listen the guys that would insist on their own ways. The guys that would kick against the goad. The guys who were not team players. The guys who really weren't like-minded with the Holy Spirit. And and the Lord deals with them. And and I've seen it over the years because I've been involved in ministry for 20 years now because I got saved and boom, all of a sudden I got involved in ministry and I've seen it. This guys, just guys, just rows of guys, you know, guys that had a calling And they just fought and they're not they're not being used anymore. You know, and it's not that you want that in their life, it's just that there is that warning there that God does deal with them. Look at what the Lord does for us. He says the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. There's hope for me, see? (laughs) They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. You see what happens to the righteous? It's so cool. We see right there that they flourish and they grow. He says they flourish like a palm tree and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. These are individuals, it says in verse thirteen, who are planted in the house of the Lord. The palm tree it symbolizes beauty and fruitfulness, while the cedar is an emblem of strength and permanence. And you want you want to know something, you guys? God can really do that with your life. You know, whatever you do, don't give up on yourself. Because God will never give up on you. And He will make you this beautiful tree of fruitfulness. And He will make you a strong tree, a cedar in Lebanon. He will do that with your life. And I've learned and and I've seen the way that the Lord works in different lives. And all of a sudden that guy over there and that gal over there... um, Become pillars, they become pillars in the church, because they believed they believed that God can do such a thing. You know when you look at this right here, we see that these individuals it says in verse thirteen were planted in the house of the Lord, and that means that they they came to a lot of Bible studies, I think I think that's part of it, but it also means that they lived in daily fellowship with God. Drawing their strength and their sustenance from Him moment by moment. You know, where do you live? Do you live there? You can be planted in the house of the Lord. And as you're there, it's so cool, man. You can be that that palm tree. And I don't know why when I was younger I didn't like palm trees too much. And I think it's because you can't really climb them as easily, man. (laughs) I remember in Almani, there was a house right there, and it was just a perfect tree to climb, and we used to, you know, go up there, and then there's this other house over here where we had a, a tree house. Any of you here have a tree house? Yeah, that's cool, huh? But palm trees, you're like, man, you know, they're, they're just kind of I don't know, they're simple, but what is it about palm trees? Anybody here know? What, what is the beauty of palm trees? Shade?
1: There's an element of it.
0: Right, they don't break. Uh Uh-huh, they do. They do bear fruit. Anything else? They're pretty, huh? You see them in the wind. Different palm trees and they're in. They're in now. They're definitely in, man. You see all these different kinds of palm trees that are planted. But you know, the palm trees... um, one of the things about them is that they're very sturdy, huh? I mean, they're very... What's the word, um, Robert? What's the word um, where they don't die very easily? <laughs> hardy. Hardy, yeah. It's hard, they're hardy, huh? Yeah, and then you see them up there real tall, man, and just beautiful and blows in the wind. And I don't know, man. There's just something tranquil about them, you know? And uh, And the Lord, He compares us to that. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's another comparison. If you go over to Psalm chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. There it is again, AMPM. He shall be like a tree. Planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, and whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And there you see, you know, a pretty good cross reference that as we're there and as we're um, planted in the house of the Lord, we're there in the courts of the Lord, we're in the Word of God, and you know, we're seeking his will for our life and asking for his strength to do his will. We're not walking with the ungodly or, you know, standing in the path of sinners or sitting in the seat of scornful. There you see a digression there. But, man, we're just really um, just wanting to do what's right. Like, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, man, and I, I don't want to puff you guys up in any way, you know, but I, I wonder what would make him come on a Sunday night. Really, I mean, I have to be here, so that's kind of why I'm here to be honest with you, but I'm like there's got to be a hunger there's there's a spirit it's a spirit of God who would do that and um and I see you guys coming, you know the men's fellowship and the women's study and and the different things that are going on pat man she's probably an icon you're here like eight days a week, huh. <laughs> You know, and no pressure. You know, you, that's not. That may not always be that way, but I know when I when I first got saved, it was like that. And then, thank God, I got involved involved in the ministry, and so it was always like that. And so, I, I was at the church a lot, and I still am, obviously. Um, but you know, as you're there, it, he says you grow, you you flourish. It's a beautiful word. You blossom, and uh, and he says you're like you're like a tree now. And you're planted by the rivers of water, and you're going to bring forth your fruit in in the season that you're supposed to. It, it may not be now, you know. It may not be right now. And you might look at your life and you're thinking, "Man, I don't know if any of this is, is really happening for me because I don't see the fruit necessarily." And um, my encouragement to you is um, is to keep doing what's right. Keep feeding yourself on his faithfulness keep studying his word because his word never returns void and in its season you're going to bear fruit you really will and you're there and in season your your leaf it never withers you don't have to worry about the fall um, but it, it says right there that whatever you do it will prosper that's an awesome promise it really is but look at the contrast here it says in verse 4 the ungodly though it's not so they're like the chaff which the wind drives away And literally in the Hebrew it just says the ungodly not so not so And you know uh, one day the Lord brings in his threshing fork and he just he takes the weed and he throws it up in the air and there's a the winnowing fan And all the chaff, all those individuals that really had no substance to their life, they just get blown away with the wind. And that's what's going to happen to them one day. Back in Psalm 92, we see the reason for this whole thing. Why are we flourishing? Why are we strong cedars there? He says in verse 15, we come back to this, to to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, And there is no unrighteousness in him. The declaration is for me to tell others, but it's also for me to tell myself. And sometimes you need to talk to yourself. You need to, don't think you're weird, okay? (laughs) I talk to myself all the time. Uh, I try to tell myself God's word. And that's what he says to declare that the Lord is upright. He is whose rock? My rock. You got to say that sometimes. He's my rock. He's my security. He's my stability. He's the only rock. There's no other rock, the Bible says. And He's your only stability. He's your only security. And that's why God wants us to grow. About 20 times in the Psalms, the Lord is said to be a rock. A rock is a picture of a fortress. It's a high place of refuge and defense to which one might flee for protection. And so Psalm 92, it speaks of the working of God and we praise Him for that. And Psalm 93, it speaks of the reigning of God. And how many of you have heard of this title? Because there's different types of Psalms, an enthronement psalm. You guys ever heard of that? An enthronement psalm? An enthronement psalm is a psalm that speaks of the theocratic kingdom. It speaks about the coming millennial reign of Jesus Christ. We see it here. We see it in Psalm 47. We see it in Psalms 95 through 99. And we read here, it says in verse 1, The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord Lord is clothed. And he has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old, you are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waves, than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Again, notice there in verse 1, he speaks of the fact that the Lord reigns. He talks about how he is clothed with majesty. Again, the Lord is clothed. He has a girdle, and it says right there, with strength. Clothing in the Old Testament was considered an extension of a person. And that was what we see in the Lord. He's majestic. huh? In looking at this, it's really awesome to know the sovereignty and majesty of the Lord. And kind of like we studied this morning, just to know that he uses his strength for us. You know, it's so cool right there when you see that your throne is established from of old, You are from everlasting. In verse 1, he says, The world is established. The world is established so that it cannot be moved. And in looking at this, and again, we're talking about the enthronement psalm, and it's a a theocratic uh, psalm speaking of God's coming kingdom. The reason we know he's going to reign is because he has reigned from everlasting. You see... The only difference is one day we will see his throne. And that's during the thousand year reign of Christ and it could happen very, very soon. And what ends up happening is he establishes the world and he establishes righteousness. You know, we are established. Why? Because he is established. He is eternally established. Therefore, we are eternally invincible. Invincible. And by that I mean that when you're walking with the Lord and when you're under his defense, um, nothing can move you. One guy said this, Of course the throne of Jehovah has always existed, but it has not been as clearly manifest as it will be when the millennium dawns. The king himself too is eternal, and as his authority had not been at no beginning, so it will have no end. And that's what the Lord will do. Um, I don't know, you guys probably have studied eschatology, huh? What's the next event on the calendar, they say? What what would you say it is? Anybody? You know, probably the rapture. Maybe Ezekiel 38 and 39. We're not like positive, but one of those things is going to happen next. And then after the rapture, we believe um, that there's going to be seven-year tribulation, the first three and a half years are going to be relatively peaceful, but then the last three and a half years are going to be all hell on earth. They call it Jacob's trouble, Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19. But then after the seven-year tribulation, Jesus Christ will come back riding on his horse. We will come riding with him as well. And we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And that will be a fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies of the Davidic kingdom. See, Jesus, the descendant of David, will set up his kingdom. And it's going to be incredible, man. It really is. On this earth, when you think about it, you know. Here we are, we're in perplexity now. Nobody knows how to make things right on planet earth, huh? And we're trying, and I think we're digging ourselves a deeper hole, huh? It's crazy to see the things that are going on. I was talking to a a young couple that just started coming to the church, and they were talking to me about their five-year-old little son who is a prayer warrior, and it was kind of cool. And they were telling me about the way that he is. And, um, like, if anybody's sick, if anybody's sick, he'll say, Can I lay hands on you? Can I pray for you? You know? And uh, in, in the house, he's always, is it time to pray? Is it time to pray? Let's pray. And he just loves, he, he's a prayer warrior. It's totally the Lord. And so he went to school and it was lunchtime. He just started kindergarten. And he tells the teacher, let's pray. <laughs> and guess what the teacher said? Let's pray. Can't do that. Can't do that here. You know, and I know it's a public school and and all those types of things, but there's something about that that's just not right. Can't pray. We can't pray. And it's just getting worse. But one day the Lord will come, huh? And and he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to rule with a rod of iron and, and we're going to pray in school, right? And we're going to serve the Lord and all the laws will be laws of righteousness and there'll be no more abortion. There won't be. You know, families will stay together. Think about that. You know, and, and, and parents, you know, will, will raise their children in the ways of the Lord. And Satan's going to be bound in, you know, the, the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And there'll be no more demonic influence. There'll still be a fallen nature uh, for those who don't know the Lord. I mean, those who haven't come back in their glorified bodies and they're repopulating the earth but there will be an amazing, amazing time of peace and prosperity that the world has never seen. It's it's just gonna be so awesome, you know. And you read that throughout the Bible and and we just long for that. You know, I'll bet you he'll even, you know, help the smog and and just everything. It's just gonna be cool. No littering. I mean it's just gonna be amazing. I wonder if there'll be police officers. Maybe not no jails it's going to be cool (laughs) that's all I'm saying you know and, and that's what he's talking about and the world is going to be established the Bible knowledge commentary says this means that all the moral and legal orders of life will be solidified under his dominion again since his throne was established in eternity past his reign on earth is solidly insured and you look at that and it's, it's cool. Now, when the psalmist was writing this, apparently there was some type of opposition. Because look what it says in verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high, though, is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. Now, when you read the Jewish... Um, culture, you find that they never really liked the sea. huh? Um, as a matter of fact, they, they really didn't do good on the waters. As a matter of fact, in the Jewish mentality, the sea is a symbol of hostility. And so much so that when you read the book of Revelation, it says that there's no more sea. 21 verse 1, there's no more sea. And then when I think about that, I'm like, Lord, there's got to be, you know, <laughs> I love the beach, you know. But um, we know there are springs of water that proceed from the throne and uh, God will have his uh, water, I believe, but it's more like a sea of glass. I think the, the, the picture that we're going to get in heaven is that there's not going to be the crashing waves that we see now. And so for you surfers, I'm, I'm really sorry, Sean. I, I don't know. But there's probably going to be something better, I'll bet you. Um, but all I know is this, that there, the floods were coming. The sea was resisting, was opposing the people of God at this point. Some even say in looking at the sea that the sea is symbolic of the Gentile nations. And when you read the book of Revelation, it says the Antichrist will come out of the sea. And so they say it's the Gentile nations. Some say even the mass of humanity. And so the mass of humanity comes against the Lord. And, you know, I kind of see that. Huh. I mean, they're joining forces. They're coming against the Lord. And the floods. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in in, in that type of setting. We we've, we've seen a little bit of that here. Uh, what floods can do. And that's what he's saying. Hey, the floods they they've, they've lifted up, O oh Lord, and they've even lifted up their voice. Why would they lift up their voice to strike fear? Huh, to strike fear in the hearts of men. You know we read this many times in the Bible. Job twenty-seven twenty says, "Terrors overtake him like a flood; a tempest stills him away in the night." In Jeremiah forty-six seven and eight it says, "Who is this coming up like a flood, whose waters move like the rivers? Egypt rises up like a flood, and its waters move like the rivers." Revelation twelve verse fifteen, you guys remember that verse that says, "So the serpent, the devil he spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood that was the devil 's attempt to wipe out the nation of Israel, and you know the the flood you know comes against us. you know I remember when we first got this building right here. We had uh, problems with the restroom over there. And I don't know if you remember, Richard. It was really crazy, man. And so periodically I would come into the building and literally the water would be... This is before we got this carpet, okay? Don't worry, Bob. It was before we had the gray carpet. And man, it was just... Oh, no, not again. And the waters were just all the way up to the pillars. And, you know, that's dirty water, huh? That's, you know, bad. But I remember, and I don't, you know, maybe it's my mystical side. I don't know what it is. But every time when that would happen, it happened maybe about four times, I knew that the enemy was coming against me. I just knew that. The floods in here and the coyotes. For some reason, when the coyotes hop into my yard, it's kind of like the Lord saying to me, the enemy's stepping it up. And there are those times in our life, you guys, not every day is the same. Not every day is the same there's the evil day when the devil comes in with his double edged sword of doubt and discouragement and and he tries to wipe you out and you really need to walk in his power you got to be so careful because he is so he's so crafty and you just you just you just can't lose heart you read second corinthians and paul the apostle as he was involved in the ministry you know, he just, all he could say over and over again is, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. You just don't give up. And the enemy comes against us like a flood. And so what do we do? Well, we just call on the name of the Lord. Huh? Isaiah 59, 19 is a good verse. And it says, So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. And by the spirit of the Lord, there's like this flag, there's like this banner, there's like this—I uh, guess you could say—counterattack. And God, God gives you the victory, you know. And it's cool, you know. I think we need to aggressively cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And He gives us the victory. And God will come in and all the nations will come and there will be China and there will be Russia and there will be, you know, all the countries of the Middle East and who knows, there might even be America and Europe and they all come against the Lord. We see that in the book of Revelation when they muster all their armies against the Lord. The whole earth comes against God. And what does God do? It says that He comes back with a sword in His mouth and you're like a sword in his mouth, shouldn't he have like a sword on his side or in his hand? Why does he have a sword in his mouth? And the reason is because the way that he smites the earth is with the power of his word. He just, he just speaks it. He's just going to speak it when the whole mass of humanity is there coming against him like a flood, coming against his people. He's just going to speak it. That's all he has to do. And even in our life personally, that's all he has to do. He just speaks it. You just got to pray. You just got to wait on the Lord. And he does that work, and it's just so awesome. He says, you know, I don't know what he'll say. He'll say, die, you know, or he'll say something really cool, you know. And, um, and, and then, boom, there's this, this new beginning. And that's what the Lord's going to do, man. He's going to set up that standard against them. And then we're going to see in verse 5, it says, Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. One day when we're there in the millennial kingdom, you are going to say, Wow! His word is true. And it's going to blow us away, huh? It's going to be so amazing. But you don't have to wait until the millennial kingdom you can experience Victorian's Christian living now. I promise you that if you have a heart inclined to obey the Lord, to do what's right, to take up your cross and deny yourself, that He will bless your life. And you're going to see it, you guys. And even in that, you're going to say, wow, His testimonies. Notice it says right there, are very sure. And we see the Lord gives us there in the end, He says, Holiness adorns your house, O Lord. For how long? Forever. Forever. The enemies are destroyed, it says there in chapter 92, verse 7. For how long? Yeah. But God is on high, 92, verse 8. For how long? Forevermore. I can't wait until that day when we step out of time and into eternity and there'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. Um, We've been delivered from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. And man, I can't wait until that one day we were delivered from the presence of sin. Isn't that going to be cool? You guys are going to be able to eat chocolate cake and not gain any weight. (laughs) I mean, just it's just going to be all, all good. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, you're so good. Um, Maranatha, Lord, please come soon. Father, we know there's still work to do and Lord, you're never late, you're never early, you're right on time. But if John could say it, Lord, I think we could say it. We could pray it, Lord. Please come soon. Encourage my brothers and sisters here today in their walks with you and in the calling for their life and the ministry, Lord, that you've placed before them, Lord. Uh, I I just thank you, Lord, so much for your word and for who you are. May you be with us now, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.